Good evening. Tonight on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, we're going to do our third and final act on A Clockwork Orange. I promise you, it's going to be the third act. It's going to be fun. It's going to be thrilling. A Clockwork Orange is one of those films. Everyone talks about it. Everyone has a different opinion on it. And it the lasting appeal of that film is thanks in part to its cast and, of course, Stanley Kubrick. So stay tuned tonight. Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, A Clockwork Orange. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast on Friday night. Tonight, we finish talking about A Clockwork Orange. We could talk about it again sometime in December when it officially had its premiere in New York City in December of 1971. The legendary film directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Malcolm McDowell, the old in out, in out. A legendary film. I was looking for my copy of the novel by Anthony Burgess because supposedly there's an American version of A Clockwork Orange and then there is the British version. A Clockwork Orange has been parodied. It's been copied. If you remember the music video by Rob Zombie, Never Gonna Stop Me, Never Gonna Stop, to the T. He copied a lot of the Clockwork Orange imagery, even the Corova Milk Bar, so much so that it supposedly, I can't confirm this, the estate of Stanley Kubrick said to tone it down, supposedly, allegedly. This influence of this film, it's been parodied by The Simpsons. It's been parodied probably by Rick and Morty. I know people who have gone as Alex DeLarge for Halloween. It's a legendary film. Of course, you know, little the eyelash right there, the hat, the outfit, the imagery. It is also a controversial film. A very controversial film. And we've talked about that in these past days. About the lasting impression of A Clockwork Orange. It has, I mean, even to this day, it arises so many different ideas. And I mean, the opening shot alone is very striking. It's him with the hat. He's looking, he's not blinking, and he drinks that milk. And damn. Hmm. (laughs) What else can we say about a film that have everything about it? We're talking about it 50 years later and the trivia behind it. So let's go into the trivia a little bit. (laughs) There's so much so, you know, 
Okay. One of the to- two movies rated X on its original release, the other being Midnight Cowboy, to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It is often claimed that Malcolm McDowell nearly drowned when his breathing apparatus failed during the filming of the waterboarding scene. Yes. This is not true. Daily records indicate that the scene was filmed in repeated takes with no sabotage from equipment failure. McDowell was never reported a near drowning while he does report many similar close calls in other scenes. The first line of the novel is, What's it going to be then, eh? And then this line is repeated frequently throughout the book. Another recurring phrase is dressed in the highest. An insert edge adjective here. Fashion, which is now Alex describes every single set of clothing that he or anyone else is wearing. The movie omits all but one occurrence of each phrase. Prison chaplain Godfrey Quigley is introduced with the line, What's it going to be, eh? In the next scene, Alan... Alex imagines himself as a first century executioner dressed in the height of Roman fashion. Anthony Burgess originally sold the movie rights to Mick Jagger for 500 when he needed quick cash. Jagger intended to make it with the Rolling Stones as the Droogs, but then resold the rights for a much larger amount to Ken Russell. Ken Russell was then nominated to direct because of his style was considered well-suited for the material. He would have cast Oliver Reed as Alex. Tinto Brass was another possible director. At some point, someone suggested rewriting the Drugs to be girls in miniskirts or old age pen- pensioners. Tim Curry and Jeremy Irons turned down the role of Alex. Stanley Kubrick once said, if Malcolm McDowell hadn't been available, I probably wouldn't have made the film. Author Anthony Burgess initially distrusted Kubrick as a director, but was happy with the results. He felt the film later made the book one of his least favorite books he had written overshadow his other work. Stanley Kubrick was a perfectionist who did meticulous research, took thousands of photographs of potential locations, and did many takes of scenes. However, per Malcolm McDowell, he usually got it right early on, so there were very few takes. So meticulous was Kubrick that McDowell stated, if Kubrick hadn't been a film director, he would have been a general chef of staff at the U.S. forces. No matter what it is, or even his question of buying a shampoo, it goes through him. It's just like total control. Terry Southern recommended the novel to Stanley Kubrick when they were working on the screenplay The Doctor Strangelove in 1964. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, a cricket fan, came in for a costume fitting with his gear, including protective cup. Stanley Kubrick told him to keep it, keep them and incorporate his white shirt and cup into the costume. When McDowell started to dress by putting the jockstrap under his pants, Kubrick told him it would look better over his trousers instead. And the look made it into the final movie. I didn't even know that. Malcolm McDowell found the strange language easy to deal with as it was used to playing Shakespeare's plays with the Royal Shakespeare Company. It is the first science fiction film to be nominated for Best Picture. 
Despite the controversy and the unsettling content, this film is one of the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies of all time. And that is true. Malcolm McDowell has suggested that it wasn't until the 21st century that audiences saw the film properly as a black comedy and that the early audiences saw the film was, were always too unsettling by the opening 20 minutes of the violence and the rape scenes to appreciate the humor in the rest of the picture. Yeah, it is, it is a dark satire. It is said that Stanley Kubrick made the movie because of the failure of Waterloo. After he completed Space Odyssey 2001, he had planned to make a movie about Napoleon Bonaparte's life. After many years of research, he sent location scouts to various Eastern European locations and even had an agreement with the Yugoslav army to supply troops for the vast battle scenes. However, after Waterloo tanked, Kubrick financial backers pulled out. He thus decided to adapt the American version, hello, of A Clockwork Orange, which had been given to him by Terry Southern, co-author and co-writer of Dr. Strangelove. So those are just some of the tidbits that lead us into A Clockwork Orange. Probably one of the most, as I've said before, it is the most controversial. It is the most feared. There's so much to be said about A Clockwork Orange. So much to be said. So if we were to look at it from a parody aspect because all great work that is parodied means that it is relevant I've said this before it's like Barbara Walters getting parodied she became that she was known as being relevant oh here we go even South Park as we walked along the road to the grocery store my coon sense started tingling. Something was wrong. Very wrong. I've learned to trust my coon sense. It has always been my guide. And so I knew I must act. The coon must know when to defend itself. So even South Park did a parody of A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange is legendary. All of these years later. I know that if Stanley Kubrick were alive today, he'd probably be hosting a Halloween dress, you know, dress party based on the film. So 50 years later, many of the actors are gone. Malcolm McDowell remains. And I remember 
you know, Malcolm McDowell talking, I mean, when it was acknowledged by the American Film Institute, that's when it w- hit pay dirt, basically. Legendary. It became prophetic because um, it foretold, of course, gang violence, which of course there was then, but it wasn't so sophisticated as it is today. And I think that's one of the enduring things about the movie. The um, amount of drug use, the gang violence, the futuristic kind of thing, but it's not futuristic at all, is it? Um, you know, it, it's staggering, actually. And, and um, you know, the identification marks on the gangs. But, you know, this was all done in um, West Side Story, for God's sake. I mean, we're not, he's not inventing anything new. He's just pushing it a little further. The envelope is being pushed. He came over to me. I was sitting down. He went, can you dance? And um, I said, hey, can I dance? Of course I couldn't dance, yeah. But um, I leapt up and immediately went into a sort of skit of and Singing in the Rain blurted out and I started whacking, boom, kicking. And he was so taken aback. He, he was so joyous. He laughed so hard, I mean, tears. And he said, come with me. We, I got in his car. We drove at 15 miles an hour to the, his house. And he bought the rights to Singing in the Rain. We went back, and it took a week to reconstruct. I was going, what did I do? What did I do? I, I don't remember what I did. You know, and I had to sort of piece it all back together. And um, it was just the perfect thing. Because, you see, the character was at his most euphoric when he was beating and raping and pillaging. This movie is about the right to choose. It's as simple as that. The right to choose how we live our life. Now, we can either decide to be a good citizen or an antisocial one. But is it the right of the government, you know, to come in and mess with our chemistry and, and our physique? Um, I don't think so. That's what the film is saying. Well, it's a classic, you know, and, and it's a classic because it doesn't date. That is my um, reference for a great film, is that you can watch it time and time again. It doesn't date. Um, the themes are universal. They're just as poignant now as it was then. And, uh, of course, um, you know, it even looks rather futuristic. Even today it looks futuristic. That's the brilliance of Stanley. That's Malcolm McDowell talking to the American Film Institute about the influence and the lasting legacy of A Clockwork Orange. Here's Anthony Burgess, the author, talking about the film. Uh, I was in a very awkward situation. Kubrick invited me and my wife and my uh, agent, who was also a woman, to go and see it. And uh, I had a woman on either side of me watching this film and Kubrick at the back. And after 10 minutes, my wife said, oh, I can't stay, I'm going. And my, my agent said the same thing, I can't stay. I'm going. I said, for Christ's sake, you can't go. Stay, stay, stay. Kubrick's there behind. So we had to hang on to the end. Um, I, uh, I, was, uh, I was appalled because what I'd merely suggested in the book was now here explicitly in the film. I'd, I'd gone to great trouble in the book to hide the violence and the sexuality from the reader by using a very strange language. So the writer had to, uh, the reader had to fight his way through the language to get at the, uh, the juice or to get at the um, physical reality. Here on the screen, we were getting the physical reality in a big way. 
And that's Anthony Burgess, the author of A Clockwork Orange, talking about his his impression of the film. And I thought, 50 years, you know, come on. My goodness. What a crazy movie. What a legendary movie. There was so much to be said about A Clockwork Orange. The fight scenes. The action. But at the end of the day, it's a film that holds up. 50 years later. I think we can say that this is the top of Stanley Kubrick's list. I mean, after this, he went on to do Barry Lyndon. He did The Shining. He did Full Metal Jacket. And then his final film, Eyes Wide Shut. Stanley Kubrick always had a stamp to his films. His films, whether you like them or not, and a lot of people would say you had to watch them again because the first time it just didn't cut you and then you watched the second time and then you watched the third time and then you watched it the fourth time his films you they really have to sink their teeth into you if stanley kubrick were alive today he would be 93 years old this month he was a legendary provocateur you know started out as a photographer for life it was at life magazine or time born july 26 1928 in new york city died march 7th 1999 at the age of 70 in england to let's let's dive into a brief synopsis about the man himself his films i think his films really speak at volume okay jack kubrick made this decision to give his son stanley a camera for his 13th birthday it was a wise move. Kubrick became an avid photographer and would often make trips around New York taking photographs, which he would develop in a friend's dark room. After selling an unsolicited photograph to Look Magazine, Kubrick began the associate to associate with his their staff photographers. At the age of 17, was offered a job as an apprentice photographer. In the next few years, Kubrick had regular assignments for Look and would become a vivacious moviegoer. Together with friend Alex Singer, Kubrick planned a movie into film, and in 1950 sank his savings into making the documentary Day of the Fight. This was followed by several shots commissioned documentaries, Flying Padre and the Seafurs, but by attracting investors and hustlers chess games in Central Park, Kubrick was, Kubrick, Kubrick was able to make Fear and Desire in 1950. 
53. Oh, I didn't know this. This is a tidbit. Kubrick's next project was to direct Marlon Brando in One-Eyed Jacks. But negotiations broke down and Brando himself ended up directing the film himself. Disenchanted with Hollywood and another failed marriage, Kubrick moved permanently to England from where he would make all of his subsequent films. Despite having obtained a pilot's license, Kubrick was rumored to be afraid of flying. Oh, I didn't... Oh, this is... See, these are interesting tidbits. Having turned down directing a sequel to The Exorcist, Kubrick made his own horror film, The Shining. Again, rumors circulated of demands made upon actors and crew. Stephen King, whose novel the film was based upon, reportedly didn't like Kubrick's adaption. Indeed, he would later write his own screenplay, which was filmed as The Shining in 1997. After Kubrick's death, Steven Spielberg revealed that the two of them were friends that frequently communicated discreetly about the art of filmmaking. Both had a large degree of mutual respect for each other's work. AI was frequently discussed. Kubrick even suggested that Spielberg should direct it as it was more his type of project. Based on this relationship, Spielberg took over as the film's director and completed the last Kubrick project. How much of Kubrick's vision remains in the finished product and what he would have what he would have think of the film as eventually released will be the final great unanswered mysteries in the life of this talented and private filmmaker. Mm. 50 years of a clockwork orange. 50 something of a space odyssey 2001. Almost all of his films involve a plan that goes horribly wrong. Yes. The controversy around A Clockwork Orange UK release was so strong that Kubrick was flooded with angry letters and protesters were showing up at his home, demanding that the film never be shown in England again. He personally petitioned the studio to pull it from theaters. Despite his legal inability to control a film after production, the studio, out of respect for Kubrick, eventually decided to pull the film out of theaters prematurely. Stanley Kubrick's favorite pastime was chess, and it was said he was the master of it. Many crew members and actors found themselves on the losing end of the chess matches with him. Oh, I didn't know this. See, I thought let's let's dive into. He was a big fan of American sitcoms like Seinfeld and Roseanne and The Simpsons. I didn't know that. He was fascinated with by the craft of television commercials. He was particularly impressed by how they could effectively tell a story in thirty seconds. 
yeah like nescafe commercials that's what i i saw in his documentary at the age of 16 he snapped a photograph of a news vendor in new york the day after president roosevelt died he sold the photograph to look magazine which printed it the magazine eventually hired him as an apprentice photographer while he was still in high school There is a really good documentary on Stanley Kubrick called A Life in Pictures from 2001. I suggest all of you check it out. My take on The Clockwork Orange is it's one of those films that you watch with friends. Don't watch it with family. Don't watch it with people who... The violence is crazy. And at the same time, like American Psycho, it is a parody. It's a dark humor within this context of a story about the future. As always, unpleasant dreams.